Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. I am excited. We are in the middle of a series called Jesus Is. And we are looking at the, the I Am statements of Christ in the book of John. And last week we looked at, I am the bread of life. This week we are in John chapter 8 and we are looking at, I am the light of the world. And as I started to study for this, I realized something. I listened to John, a couple, I've listened to John about two or three times since we started the series to kind of familiarize myself with it and to do it justice. And um, I never want to get up here and take the uh, word of God lightly. And I realized something very important about Jesus saying, I'm the lie of the world. I merged two narratives together. I merged one out of Matthew and one out of John. So as like this whole time when I was like, when I preach about the lie of the world, I'm going to be talking about Jesus talking about don't put your light under a bushel. It's going to be an awesome evangelism message. I love speaking about evangelism, telling people about Jesus. You know, I tell people about Jesus. That's not what I do. That's who I am. And so I love it. And then I realized that's not the narrative of Jesus saying, I'm the lie of the world. And I thought, oh no. Because <laughs> now it completely changed the direction of this message. And um, there was a whole lot more that went into it. And so this narrative actually has a story that we're all familiar with. is the woman caught in the act of adultery. But if you, if, as we read, and we're going to see it here in a moment, that Jesus gets interrupted. And then he comes back, and the second thing he says to the group is, I am the light of the world. And so let's look at John chapter 8, verses 1 through 20. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down, and he taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. So the teachers of the religious law, these, these people, they went into synagogues and the temple, and that's all they did was they taught the first five books of the Bible. They, they, uh, they memorized, they knew, they explained, and then the Pharisees were kind of like that, except the Pharisees kind of had some political uh, it wasn't just teaching the law, but, but they, they, the Pharisees could teach the law, but there was some political weight behind Pharisees as well. And so these two people together did not like Jesus. And so they brought this woman caught in the act of adultery. And, and sometimes we, we, we don't want to get into it because it's sticky and icky. But in order for her to be caught in the act of adultery, that means... She was caught in the act of adultery. Like, they, they kicked down doors or something. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. So, um, just for anyone who doesn't know, they were not going to get her high. They were going to put her to death. And the Jews, one of the ways that they would put to death was they would pick up large stones and they would literally pelt people 
with stones until they died. It was not a nice way to go. Um, it was the most horrid version of dodgeball you've ever seen. And that's what they wanted to do. Massive crowds would gather around. Children, men, women, they would all gather around and just pelt until someone died. They were trying to trap him in saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then he stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and leave your life of sin. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. So he got interrupted. And I don't know who this is for, but I really feel like someone needs to hear this. God is willing to be interrupted for you. There's nothing too big that you can't go to God with. We just, we just sing about it, but the truth is, everything that Jesus did when he was walking down the street, he was interrupted. He would be walking out and, and people would just call to him or, or sick people would run up to him. Lepers would come up to him. He was always interrupted. That's why Jesus came. He came to be interrupted for you. And you're not inconveniencing Jesus. Jesus didn't miss a beat. He wasn't caught off guard by this woman's sin. He wasn't, he wasn't like, <gasps> the act of adultery? Jesus, you, you can't surprise him. I had a professor, I say this all the time, it's probably one of my favorite statements, has it ever just occurred to you, nothing's ever just occurred to God? You can't catch God off guard. So the fact that Jesus is willing to be interrupted shows you something about his character for you. He has infinite patience to go after you because he loves you. Jesus spoke again to the crowd, to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. The Pharisees replied, you are making those claims about yourself. Such a testimony is not valid. Jesus told them, these claims are valid even though I make them about myself, for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you don't know this about me. You judge me by human standards, but I don't judge anyone. And if I did, my judgment would be correct in every respect because I am not alone. The Father who sent me is with me. Your own law says that if two people agree about something, their witness is accepted as fact. I am one witness, and my Father who sent me is the other witness. Where is your Father, they asked. Jesus answered, since you don't know who I am, you don't know my Father. Man, savage Jesus, man. I, I think it's amazing to see Jesus respond to the Pharisees 
because he didn't, he didn't like sugarcoat things. He loved them. He wanted them to be saved, but he didn't sugarcoat things. He straight up says, you don't know me because you don't know God. And you don't, and you don't know God because you don't know me. If you knew me, you would also know my father. Jesus made these statements while he was teaching in the section of the temple known as the treasury. But he was not arrested because his time had not yet come. Jesus was giving them treasure, <laughs> for sure. Jesus makes a claim, an I am statement. He says, I am the light of the world. Now, the question is, what does light do? What does light do? Does it helps you see, yeah. Um, it illuminates things. If, if we turned all these lights off, it wouldn't really make a difference because we have these super bright windows, but... And you can still see, but the truth is, light only works where there's darkness. And if I had my flashlight, my tactical flashlight, it's like 800 lumens. You might be able to see it a little bit in here, but the truth is, where my tactical flashlight really shows through is when it's dark. It illuminates things, things that you can't see. It brings to light. And I have a headlamp. I, I used to have this one. It was amazing. And then um, I had a debacle in a canoe, and it quit working. It turned in more into a strobe light. And that's very discombobulating when you're walking through the woods with this thing going a million miles an hour, and you're like, okay, who, what bear is going to eat me with the strobe going on? So, But that headlamp would shine like 100 meters, and it lit up like 15 meters wide. It was amazing. And um, it let me do things in the dark that I could not do otherwise. I could do them, but I would fall all over myself. And Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. He came to illuminate things. And there's three things I want to talk about what Jesus illuminates. And his whole discussion, in order for us to understand the first part with the woman caught in the act of adultery... We need to look at the second part where he talks about his identity and who he is in relation to the Father. Because he talks about identity. And so we're going to move forward. Jesus is illuminating identity. My first thought is Jesus is illuminating identity. He tells them who he is. He shows up. And he says, I am the light of the world. They have a hard time. The reason why the, the Pharisees had such a hard time with Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, the reason why they had, um, had such a hard time because, and they thought his testimony was invalid, was because he was not the Messiah they wanted him to be. He did not fit the mold, but he didn't come to fit the mold. He came to be who God called him to be. And so many, some of us need to take a note from that because some of us are trying to fit the mold of what other people have expectations on your life. Other people think about your life, other things about your life. Some people are trying to do that to you. And the truth is you can't, you can't fit the mold of what people think about you. You have to fit the mold of what God says about you. If Jesus came into this world and he only did what God told him to do and he only said what God told him to say and he only lived up to the expectations that God put on his life, how much more should we? We put way too much 
care into others' opinion about us when God says stuff about us. He says you're a son or daughter of God. He says that you're more than enough. He says you're more than a conqueror. He says that you're the, you, you, um, that you are bought with a price. But Jesus is illuminating identity. He illuminates his own identity. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The Word being God, the Word being Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father. Who did Jesus say? He said, I come down from heaven. The Father sent me. We just read that. And he says, he came down from the Father full of grace and truth. That is like how the Holy Spirit chose to describe Jesus coming down to earth was he chose to emphasize that he was full of grace and truth. And then in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-10, through 10, John echoes what Jesus says in John chapter 8. He says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. John hits on this. And in the the fact that Jesus is illuminating identity, he always shows who he is first, and then he shows us who we are. And I, I, think, I think that this is evident in the calling of the disciples. Because Jesus reveals to the disciples who he is. You know, they know he's a teacher. He, they, they, they know all these things. But at the calling of Peter, James, Hurst, James, James um, Peter's brother, no, Andrew Peter's brother runs up to, 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 uh, to Simon. He says, dude, we found the Messiah. Come and follow him. And so Simon walks up to Jesus, and um, <laughs> I love Jesus. He's so amazing because Jesus looks at him. He says, si- you are called Simon, but I'm going to call you Peter. That's like meeting someone named John. Like, oh, hi, your name's John. I'm going to call you Mark. You know, like, <laughs> what? But that's what Jesus did. Simon walked into the no- knowing who Jesus was. And then Jesus gave him a new identity. He always gives us a new identity. You can't meet God without getting a new identity. He illuminates your new identity. Maybe you're here and you say, I don't know what my identity is. Press into God and he'll reveal it. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You were made with a purpose. If you are living, that means God's not done with you. God has a purpose for you. God has a plan for you. God wants to move in your life. God wants to use you in this life. He does. But you have to let God, number one, you have to let Jesus reveal who he is to you. And number two, you've got to let Jesus reveal who you are. 
Because if you don't remind yourself of who you are in Christ, the enemy is going to step in and remind you of who you are without Jesus. And he's going to step in and remind you of all the bad things he is. He, he always keeps record of, of your worst mistakes, and he identifies you and calls you by your worst mistakes. But God calls you redeemed. God calls you saved. God calls you um, a child. God calls you who he says you are. That's how he identifies you. And God's ready and and willing to give you a new identity, but we got to be willing and ready to accept his identity. These Pharisees and teachers of the religious law did not want to accept the identity that Jesus is. He is the light of the world, but they didn't want to accept it because they didn't know God. But if you know God, you're willing to accept it. If you let the Holy Spirit work on you, you're willing to accept what the, what the Lord is doing in you. Jesus is revealing identity. And the reason why the enemy likes darkness, this is how the enemy works. I'm just going to give you a, a glimpse into his game plan for your life, okay? This is why it's so important to confess your sins. We confess our sins to God to be free from the power of sin in our life. We confess our sins one to another to be free from the habit of sin in our life. And when you confess, you bring it to light. You don't keep it in darkness anymore. As long as there's things in your life that you keep in darkness, I want us to hear this. The enemy has leverage on you, and he will use it to shame you and condemn you. That's what he does. But as soon as you bring it to God, guess what? God's not, the, the enemy says God is so disappointed with you. God's so angry with you. He's so mad at you, and that's a lie from the pit of hell. That's his tactic to keep everything in your life that God doesn't want in there in the dark. But bring it to God, confess it, because you have a loving, caring God. And John, First John says, when we sin, we confess it. And God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have a loving God that's ready and willing to forgive us, to forgive us, to cleanse us. But it starts with bringing it to the light of who God is, of what God wants to do, of how God wants to move. Satan wants to keep things in the dark in your life. He, he doesn't want, he, he says stuff like, no one knows about it, so it's okay. God knows about it and he loves you anyways. So you might as well give it to him because guess what? The same voice that tempts you is the same voice that condemns you. And if you say, well, I haven't sinned, John says you're a liar. If you say, I don't struggle with sin, John says you don't know God, and you're making him out to be a liar. But the truth is, if there are things that the Holy Spirit is convicting you of in your life, whether they be sin or not, you need to confess him. Because what does light do again? It illuminates. So the closer you get to God, the more he's going to illuminate in your life. And the more he illuminates in your life, there's going to be more things that you need to lay down. But the more things you lay down, the more freedom you're going to have to walk. God always leads us to freedom. He always leads us to freedom. But Satan wants to keep things in the dark. Don't let Satan keep things in the dark in your life. Confess. Find accountability. Confess it to other people, the people that you can trust that won't go blab their mouth. Confess it because God loves you and he cares for you and he wants a relationship with you and he doesn't want you to walk around 
in darkness when he has a better identity for you. He's illuminating identity. He always revealed who he was, and then he reveals who you are. He says, Simon, you are now called Peter. Now, Peter is actually the word Petra. That means rock. Later on, after Peter denies Jesus, he comes back to, to Jesus, and, and when Peter denied Jesus, he renounced his lordship. He renounced everything. It was a big deal to renounce your rabbi in Jewish custom. Like, you were saying, I'll never listen to him again. But, Peter, but Jesus says, hey, do you love me? He reaffirms Peter. And he asks him three questions. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And then Peter was like, God, you know I love you. And then he says, upon this rock, this Petra, I will build my church. And it's because he put an identity on Peter. Peter couldn't do that alone, but because of the identity that Christ put on him. He didn't say, upon Simon, I'm going to build my church. Upon a rock, because he saw who Peter could be, not who Peter was. God sees who you can be. That's why you need to trust his identity for you. All Satan does is remind you who you were. God sees who you are and who you can be. The second thought I want to leave you with is Jesus is illuminating truth. One of his identities, he came. The word became, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And, and he was the light of the world. He is the light of the world. But it says he came full of truth and grace. Full of truth and grace. Everyone say truth and grace. There's a conjunction in between those words. And it means both truth and grace. The problem is Christians today so often like to focus on truth. We love truth. And what do I mean? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm about to explain. Truth says you're a sinner. You're going to hell. Truth says you have no hope. Truth says, and that's true, because we have to have Jesus. And, and, And we are. The Bible says that all have sinned in Romans 3.23 and fall short of the glory of God. From the moment you were conceived in your mama's belly, you were not good enough for God. You were born a sinner. You sin because you are a sinner, utterly a sinner. And then in Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin is death. The only thing that you can get out of this life is death on your own. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. He illuminates truth, but we, we focus on truth. And I, I, I've actually, this one week, it's so interesting how God works out things, but I've had like five conversations with like six different people. You see that math from Arkansas? Um, I'm just joking. Um, but I've had like five conversations this week, and all of them were like, the church just doesn't preach hell like it used to. It just doesn't preach truth like it used to. I can't believe this. That's my best impersonation of a Tennessee accent. I'm sorry. Um, I, I just jabbed Arkansas. I might as well go for the whole Monty. But um, I, I've had these conversations. But what what makes me think, and, and, and I didn't say this, but I, um, I'm all for telling people that there is a very real hell. And with, without Jesus, we are all going to hell. We are all living forever. We are. We are eternal beings. 
We are. When we die, the Bible says, for a man wants to die, then face judgment. And based on whether you have a relationship with Jesus, it's either going to be really hot or really awesome. So um, the, the truth is, there is a very real hell. But if you read the Gospels and see the character of Christ, what Jesus talked about hell more than anyone. But at the same time, he was full of truth and... And we so often focus on truth. And, and there's a reason why we have all these churches closing their doors, because we focus on truth. And if, if we're all truth and no grace, there's no relationship. And if we're all grace and no truth, there's no repentance. There's truth and grace. Jesus illuminates truth. He illuminates truth. And he, he does it in ways that we don't always like. Because the Pharisees brought this woman before Jesus. We're back to the top of the section. And they said this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says that she should be stoned. Truth. It does say that. But I'm going to read you the two accounts where it does say it. And I'm going to tell you. I'm going to ask. We're going to have a little quiz. In Leviticus 20, 10. If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. Okay. Deuteronomy, or do the right thing. 22, 22. If a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man, and the, um, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. You must purge this evil from Israel. So they brought Jesus. They're quoting, quoting loosely, quotation, loose quotation marks, the word, the written word of God to the living word of God. If you're quoting the Bible to God, you better know it. Or you better not twist it to fit your narrative. We don't twist scripture to fit our narrative. We change our lives to fit scripture's narrative. And the truth is, it called for both of them to be put to death. And they brought one. Jesus illuminates truth. This was a trap. They were twisting scripture to fit their narrative to get Jesus trapped. It was a political trap, and it was a theological trap. Because... If Jesus said, yeah, let's, let's stone her, he would have been breaking the Roman law, which the Jews had to live under at the time, because the Jews had no authority to put anyone to death. That's why they had to take Jesus to the Romans to be crucified, because the Jews could not kill Jesus on their own. Even though in their mind he, broke, he blasphemed, which he did not. He never broke anything. He never trespassed the law. He was a perfect lamb of God. And if he would have said, no, we can't do this, he would have been breaking God's law. He would have been breaking God's law. And then the theological trap is, if he would have said, yeah, let's stone her, he would have been saying this, it's okay to twist Scripture to fit our narrative. It's okay to leave out the things that we don't want to talk about to, to make us happy. 
It's okay to pull out partial things to fit us and our theology. It was a multi-level trap. I don't think they were thinking the theological part. I think they're mainly thinking, like, how can we get this guy killed? But Jesus saw right through it. Being fully led of the Holy Spirit, he knew what they were trying to do, and he didn't respond to his critics. He wrote in the dirt. So often, we're quick to respond when people criticize us or try to trap us. We open our mouth, and we just give them fuel. And here's the deal. When you throw dirt, you lose ground. But if you're right in the dirt, if you get down in the dirt, spend some time on your knees in the dirt, you might see God show up. And Jesus illuminates truth. And there's so many people that preach that Jesus wrote down their sins and their names. We don't know what he wrote. We don't. The Bible doesn't say. I'm glad it doesn't say. I'm not saying that people are wrong for preaching that Jesus wrote that, but we don't know what they said. We don't know what he wrote. But for me, I, I can't help but think, if Jesus is writing down names and sins of the men, and the oldest ones leave first because they have more sins than the younger ones or whatever, I don't know. And he says, let him without sin cast the first stone. I just can't help but think that kind of contradicts the character of God. Because here they are trying to shame and accuse and condemn this woman. And then Jesus getting down and going, all right, Mark, you, uh, you cheated on your taxes last year. All right, um, well, Methuselah or whatever, um, Abraham... You did this. I'm trying to think of Hebrew names. Um, all right, Joel. Um, well, you uh, you have hate in your heart. Like, number one, that would bring accusation and condemnation. And we all know John 3:16. For God loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But the very next verse says, For God did not send his Son into this world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Like, well, where does that leave us? Where does that leave us? Because, man, we're really good at the truth part. We're really good at pointing out people's sin. You know, the, the bad part about pointing fingers is you always have three pointing back at you. And... Jesus said, I, I, didn't come, I didn't come to accuse people or condemn people. Right here in John chapter 8, he said, but if I did, I'd be right. John 3.17 says he didn't come to condemn. What, what does it say? It says those who don't choose the Son in John 3.18. Those who don't choose to believe in the Son are stand condemned already. People don't need you to condemn them. They're already condemned going to hell. we got to preach gr- grace the truth is, there is a hell, and people are going there. That's why we got to give them grace. Jesus talked about hell because it's a real consequence of sin, but he gave them grace. He gave them truth and grace. What I, this is my personal opinion. This is, this is what I think Jesus was writing down. So don't take this as... Pastor Ryan said this is in the Bible. No, I'm not. This is what I think God's, this is what I think Jesus wrote down. I think Jesus wrote, got down in the dirt and he started writing out the law and how the, the, the whole, 
They brought part. So this woman should be this woman should be stoned. And he's like, the man and woman should be put to death. The man, like I, I personally think he started writing out the verses pertaining to this. And as they saw, they're like, oh, he's right. <laughs> and the older people probably knew more verses. They had longer to study it. They walked away first. He says, let him without sin cast the first stone. The, word, the, the cool thing about truth, it doesn't need your help in convicting people. The truth is the truth, and it, it, it convicts. It, it, doesn't take, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't take prisoners. It just, I can tell you the truth, and the truth is truth. And he's writing out the truth, the living word of God. This is my opinion. I just see it because this is not him condemning. He's letting the truth do its work. And the, the crazy thing is, when you disagree with God, who's wrong? I'm going to leave you this little hint. It's not God. Okay? So Jesus illuminates truth. And if you disagree with the truth that he illuminates, you're wrong. And he illuminates truth. And he says, let him without sin cast the first stone. Knowing full well he was the only one qualified. Knowing full well that these men knew the word enough that they knew they weren't without sin. Jesus illuminates truth. They were so blinded by their dislike for Jesus they were twisting the word of truth to fit a means to an end. We never use the Bible to fit our narrative or use it as a means to an end. The, the word of God is life, and it's transformative. If you set in your mind that I'm going to study the word to know God, you will be transformed by the power of God and through the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said the Holy Spirit, he said, it's good that I leave you. Because after I leave, I'm going to send you a comforter. Uh, I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send you an advocate. And one of the things he says the Holy Spirit does is not only he does the Holy Spirit convict the world of sin, but he leads us in all truth. So if you're having a hard time understanding the Bible, number one, let's talk about translations. Number two, ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Because the Holy Spirit illuminates truth. He shows up. That's what he did for Jesus. He helped Jesus understand the word of God. And he'll help us. The, the, the last thought I want to leave you guys with. Is Jesus is illuminating grace. Everyone say, he came in truth and grace. Truth and grace. Jesus illuminates grace. He lives grace. And, and this is where I want us to get. We need to speak truth. Hebrews, um, not, not Hebrews, Ephesians chapter 4 tells us to speak truth in love. Truth and grace. 
you can't, but when you speak truth without grace, you're not reflecting the heart of God. And when you speak grace without truth, you're not doing anyone a favor. You're just giving people words and, oh, I'm so happy. Thank you. That's awesome. And like, but there's no, there's no transformation if there's no truth with your grace. They're always, they have to go together. Jesus came to eliminate, illuminate grace. And he does this here. I said it earlier, all grace and no, all grace, there is no repentance. With all truth, there's no relationship. God wants relationship and repentance with you. That's why we have to have truth and grace. The truth about his grace is that Jesus is so much more interested in a personal relationship with you that he shows grace to you when you stand condemned so he can get you out of the very junk that is condemning you. Some of us might wonder, what does grace mean? Because I have a cousin named Grace, and uh, like that, she is not very nice, you know? Or um, Grace means unearned favor, unearned love, unearned. You can't earn grace. Mercy goes right hand in hand with God's grace. You can't get mercy, you can't get grace without getting God's mercy. It's a two for one special. And the beautiful thing is, mercy, uh, Mark Batterson says it this way, and I really like it. He says, Grace is getting something you don't deserve, mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And God pours his grace out. And we don't deserve it, and we can't earn it, we can't do anything. And then he turns around and pours out his mercy, and we don't get what we do deserve. What do we deserve? The wages of sin is death. We deserve death. We deserve the cross that Christ took for us. The Bible says God made him who knew no sin to become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. We get to become the righteousness of God because Christ died for us. He poured out grace. He looks at this woman. He writes in the dirt. And he, and, and he never once says a word except let him without sin cast the first stone. And the woman never says anything until she's spoken to from Jesus. When the enemy is coming at you and accusing you and condemning you, you don't need to say anything. You just need to go to Jesus and he'll take care of you in it. Because he turned around and he asked her a very important question that we need to ask ourselves sometime. He says, woman, where are your accusers? Is no one accusing you? And she goes, no one. And neither do I. And he didn't leave it at that. Truth and grace. Go and leave your life a sin. You can't encounter the God of the universe and not be changed. You can't encounter the God of the universe and not experience truth and grace. He wasn't okay with her living in adultery. He wasn't okay with her sleeping around, but he wasn't okay with her going to hell. So he gave her grace so she could change her life, so he can change her life. We have an accuser, and all he does, you might think Satan is actually directly involved in your situation. He's not. Satan is not, not omnipresent, and I, I think all of us are very important to God, 
But I would venture to say not one of us is important enough to get Satan away from the throne of God. Like, what do you mean? He's close to the throne? The Bible says that Satan accuses us night and day before the God, the Father. That's all he does. That's where he's at. He's, he's up in heaven going, man, Amy did this, Amy did that, Amy, 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 Amy. Or, or he's up in heaven going, Alan, 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 Alan. He's constantly accusing us. He's constantly accusing us. He's constantly accusing us. So the, 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 the enemy, the, the demonic forces, all the stuff that's coming against you in your life are just his little minions. <laughs> but greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. But here's the cool thing. Here's the cool thing. We also have someone else up in heaven. And uh, this, this person is actually seated at God's right hand. And he's leaning over to God. And it says that he intercedes for us night and day, day and night. So as much as the enemy accuses you, He's saying, Alan did this, Alan did that. And then Jesus is like, yeah, but I died on the cross. Yeah, but I, I, wrote, I conquered death. Yeah, but I forgave his sin. Yeah, but I did this. And the voice of Christ trumps the voice of the enemy every time. And if you're struggling with something, that means you're listening to the voice of the accusers. Because she had accusers, this woman. She did. They brought her before Jesus in the middle of a crowd. They interrupted, Ben, if you would like. Um, they interrupted in the middle of a crowd. Like, they made a scene. You think the scene that we had at the beginning when stuff wasn't working was bad? Imagine someone kicking in the doors and throwing a woman probably wrapped in a robe because she was caught in the act of adultery. I mean, she, she probably didn't go... Give me like 30 seconds and let me get my hair right, you know, and all that. They didn't care. They grabbed her and threw her in the middle of this crowd. Imagine someone just throwing someone right here in the middle of this. Making a scene and accusing her. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says that we should stone her. But Jesus, being full of truth, guess who needed truth there? She needed truth, but the Pharisees needed truth. The Pharisees need truth. When the enemy comes at you, because the truth that he gave them was just as powerful as the truth he gave her. The truth he gave them made them walk away. The truth he gave her changed her life. And the, and the truth is today we all need Jesus. And Jesus, he gave them truth. When your enemy comes at you and starts accusing you, you need to give him truth. You need to start telling him, I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. I'm more than a conqueror. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. You might come against me, Satan. You might form a weapon against me, but the Bible says no weapon formed against me shall prosper. So go ahead and give it your best shot because God in me is greater than you. God in me is greater than my flesh. God in me is greater than any and all things that you come against me. So the truth is, God is for me. And if God is for me, what in heaven 
earth or under the earth can stand against me. When the enemy accuses you, give him truth. Because God illuminates truth, and God, Jesus, is illuminating grace. And some of us here today, we need to experience the grace of God like we've never experienced before. Some of us are facing issues in our life that are really hard, that we can't face on our own, that they, we think we are drowning in these issues. We need truth, and we need grace, and we need God to remind us of our identity in him. And we need to be reminded of his identity because we serve a God that is for you and he's not against you. So with every head bowed, if you're here today, and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you might not even know how. We've talked a lot about Jesus illuminating truth and grace, but the truth is that without Jesus in your heart, there is a very real hell that we will spend eternity in. But the, the other, the full truth is, not just a partial truth, is that God has grace for you. And it's as simple as Jesus I believe that you died on the cross for me, that you conquered the grave for me. So forgive me of all my sins. Sin is just trespass. Sin is just our separation between us and God. It's what separates us that we can't get rid of on our own. It's only by Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection that we have power to get rid of sin in our lives. And all we have to say is, Jesus, forgive me. I believe that you died on the cross and rose again. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or maybe you have accepted Jesus Christ, maybe you said that prayer a long time ago, but, but the truth is it, it, it didn't hit your heart. You said it in an emotional experience and, and it didn't change. I, I will tell you, if, if you said that prayer and your life never changed, then you never accepted Jesus because the Holy Spirit enters you upon salvation and he changes your life. He helps you. And God wants to walk with you. He wants to illuminate who he is to you. He wants to give you a new identity. He wants to give you truth and he wants to give you grace. But it starts with submitting to him.